You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell Shaw, volunteer for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses and a winner of the Len Hanley Volunteerism Award. Hi, Michelle. Good afternoon, Jeremy. It's great to be here with you today. Thanksgiving is this week, and Thanksgiving is often seen as the start of the holiday season. Would you agree? I definitely agree. And the kids have been talking about it at school nonstop. Very excited for Christmas. Yeah. Uh, So today we're going to talk about a tradition that goes back to 1929 involving the holidays and lighthouses. Michelle, please help me tell our listeners about the Flying Santa of the Lighthouses. Sure, Jeremy. Flying Santa tradition goes back to December 25, 1929, when a float plane pilot, Captain William Winkapaw of Friendship, Maine, loaded his plane with a dozen packages. He flew to lighthouses around the Midcoast, Maine area and dropped modest gifts for lighthouse families as a way of showing his appreciation for the work they were doing. The flights were expanded in the years that followed, and Winkapaw was soon joined by his son, Bill Jr. In the mid-1930s, Edward Rowe Snow, a schoolteacher, maritime historian, and author in Winthrop, Massachusetts, became involved in the flights. Snow would eventually become the sole flying Santa, and he kept the flights going through 1980, flying to as many as 176 lighthouses. The Hull Lifesaving Museum on Boston's South Shore kept the tradition alive for a while, and then the Friends of Flying Santa was formed as a separate nonprofit organization in 1997. The Friends' mission remains dedicated to Captain William Winkapaw and Edward Rose Snow's philosophy that lighthouse keepers and Coast Guard crews were true lifesavers and deserve to be recognized for their efforts. The flights now encompass many stops between Maine and New York, with gifts going to more than 1,200 children of the Coast Guard families. You can learn more online at flyingsanta.org. Brian Tague is the president of Friends of Flying Santa. He's also an accomplished photographer who specializes in wildlife, aerials, and scenic work. I've known Brian for close to 30 years, and I recently had a chance to sit down and talk with him about the past and present of the Flying Santa program. Let's listen to that conversation now. I am here with Brian Tague, who is the president of the Friends of Flying Santa. And we are here in the kitchen studios of the beautiful Bluefish Boulevard recording complex in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And in case you can hear it, it is uh, kind of pouring rain out at the moment uh, right now on October 27th. Uh, and if the sound of the rain is coming through, it's uh, it's kind of a nasty day out here today, but uh, hopefully it's not too bad. So thank you so much for being with me today, Brian. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're very welcome. Uh, we were trying to figure it out a little while ago. Brian and I have known each other for, I was, I was saying it was about 30 years, but Brian very gently corrected me <laughs> a little while ago. Uh, and uh, I guess it's been closer to maybe twenty six years. Yeah. I wish I wish it was thirty. Yeah, it's uh, it's probably been closer to twenty six years. I, I think it was about nineteen ninety three. Or you uh, pointed out that it was about we think about nineteen ninety three that we met at a, an event at the Hull Life Saving Museum. Correct. That was held for the uh, the Flying Santa back then. So Brian, 
let's start kind of at the beginning of the tradition of the Flying Santa, if we could, maybe by recapping some of the early history of the Flying Santa. Captain William Winkapaw was a pioneer aviator. Could you please tell our listeners a little bit about who Captain uh, William Winkapaw was? Sure. Uh, Captain Winkapaw was a native of Friendship, Maine. He started out, he got his title captain from uh, um, being a boat captain. Uh, before he got into aviation, he did a lot of uh, uh, boating and fishing. And But he uh, got into flying and uh, was uh, pretty well known as an early pioneer in aviation. And he flew um, seaplanes and wheeled planes. And um, he uh, got into transporting freight and passengers. And um, at one point, he was shipping gold over the mountains in South America and the Andes. But his uh, base of operations, for the most part, was up in the uh, uh, Rockland area. And why did Bill Winkapaw start the Flying Santa flights? Well, uh, with his uh, job of flying around to the different islands, um, he'd uh, be picking up passengers or delivering freight. He got to know a lot of the lighthouse keepers and the life-saving crews. And um, just one Christmas in 1929, he he thought it'd be neat to uh, um, recognize them on the holiday. So he put together about a half dozen packages of, I would say, magazines, newspaper, coffee, tea, candy, and things like that. And uh, he went up Christmas morning and made the run and threw the packages out and uh, went back home and had Christmas dinner with his family. And uh, in the days that followed, he got a lot of feedback from the uh, keepers and their families, how much they appreciated being recognized. You know, it was hard for them not to miss a plane circling the island and then throwing something out of the cockpit. So um, there was no way at the time for him to hear, you know, their response and uh, the day of the flight. But he realized that this was something special for them and, and decided that he'd make a tradition and do it every year. Now, you just said a little bit about what was in the packages in the early days. I don't know if you want to say a little bit more about that. And um, kind of part two to that question, uh, who paid for that stuff? On the early days, it was the Winkapaw family that paid for all the items that went in there. And as they expanded the flight, you know, over the course of, um, you know, probably the next six years, they did every, not almost every lighthouse in the state of Maine uh, that had a family. So that was uh, quite a bit out of their pocket. Uh, but eventually, through his flight connections, he was able to get Lar Terrain and Bickford uh, to sponsor um, the flights, and they included a lot of things for the package. Of course, coffee and um, it, it, toys, books, um, candy, and things like that. So it uh, it grew. I don't think he realized at the time how much it was going to grow. So it, it was uh, a small six lighthouse event in 1929, but um, it grew to, I think at one point, over 100 uh, lighthouses. Of course, a lot of people who know about the Flying Santa, uh, the history of the Flying Santa, associate the name Edward Rowe Snow with the tradition. People of a certain age in New England often know who Edward Rowe Snow was. But for listeners who don't know who he was, uh, could you tell our listeners a little bit about Edward Rowe Snow? Well, you're probably more of an expert about Edward Rowe Snow than I am. But from my understanding, um, you know, he started out as a teacher and uh, fascinated with uh, shipwrecks and history of maritime events. And so he, uh, he I guess, was based mostly in uh, the Winthrop area for the early part of his life. And uh, he explored the Boston Harbor Islands and um, started to do lectures and books and newspaper articles and radio programs. And there's just a, a big generation of people that anytime we mention Flying Santa and Edward Rowe Snow, they... If they're of a certain age, they remember Edward Rowe Snow because he was pretty good at um, publicizing the history that went on around Massachusetts and especially, you know, the Boston Harbor Islands and lighthouses and, 
things like that. But uh, my understanding was uh, he was a, an adventurer and uh, an outstanding family man. His his daughter Dolly and wife Anna Merle would go on the Flying Santa flights with him. Uh, they'd canoe Boston Harbor and Cape Cod Bay, and so it was. Uh, it wasn't just a him going out on these adventures. He'd always include his family. Just to fill in a little more detail, he was born in Winthrop, Mass. And for people who might not know, Winthrop is a peninsula that that sticks out into Boston Harbor, the northern uh, part of uh, Boston Harbor. He lived uh, kind of the second half of his life in Marshfield on the south shore uh, of Boston. He was, uh, I think I just said he was born in 1902. He passed away in 1982, just to kind of set the, the time frame. Uh, and uh, could you tell us a little more about how Edward Rose Snow got involved in the Flying Santa flights in the first place? Sure. Um, the Winkelpaw family eventually moved to Winthrop, Massachusetts. That would be in the uh, mid to late 30s. And Bill Winkelpaw Jr. Uh, just happened to have Edward Rose Snow as his history teacher at the Winthrop High School. So um, Bill Jr. was talking to Mr. Snow about what his father did for Flying Santa and Mr. Snow was very interested and he actually uh, stepped forward to help volunteer and join them on the flight starting in 1936. And uh, could you explain, to take it a little bit further, explain how Edward Rose Snow ended up uh, taking over as the, the Flying Santa? Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, he, when he first came on board, uh, Bill Sr. would do the northern route and Bill Jr., who was at the time the youngest licensed pilot in Massachusetts at 16 years old, he and uh, Mr. Snow would do the southern route. So the flights were split up into two different days. And um, uh, at some point, um, Bill Sr. started flying gold operations uh, in the Andes, and he wasn't able to participate in the flights up here. So uh, even though Mr. Snow was not a pilot, he would uh, eventually find um, sponsors like uh, Wiggins Airways, um, to uh, to do the flights, and uh, he I think the first year he flew, he brought Anna Merle with him, and um, as the Winkapaw family got tied up with World War II, um, Mr. Snow, who had been overseas in Africa, and got injured, um, and then was uh, I guess recovering uh, for quite a while and wasn't able to uh, um, continue in service. And when he came back, he continued the flying Santa flights because there were restrictions at at the time of the war where they weren't allowing civilian planes up, but he was able to get special special permission to uh, make the flights. And uh, in 1946, when uh, Captain Winkapaw was killed in a plane crash, uh, that's when the Snow family took it on uh, full-time. And uh, you mentioned his wife, Anna Merle, and their daughter, Dolly, uh, who are an important part of the, uh, the tra- tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dolly, being born in the early 1950s, is uh, still part of the uh, Flying Santa yeah. program. It, she was on uh, a Flying Santa flight first time before she even turned a year old. Um, they bundled her up and put her in the back of the airplane. And, and she went every year after that up until, I think, her late teens. Mm-hmm. Um, never particularly enjoyed flying. <laughs> uh, she talked about not being very comfortable. And uh, it was a, took us a long time to get her to actually come on our helicopter flights because she just remembered how uncomfortable she was in the planes. But when she did finally get up in our helicopters, um, she said it was like a magic carpet ride. Uh, it was uh, night and day between the, the rough airplane flights. So, But she's been up with us a number of times. Her daughter, Laura, has, and her two grandsons, Patrick and John, have joined us on the Flying Santa flights. Right. There are a lot of interesting stories about the Edward Rose Snow years. Uh, one of the most famous stories in Flying Santa history uh, took place in the 1940s when Edward Rose Snow dropped a, a package for a girl at Cuddy Hunk Island. 
uh, somebody that both of us know quite well. Could you tell us uh, that uh, story, that sure. famous story? That was uh, December of 1945, and uh, they were making their run out to Cuddyhunk Lighthouse, and Simon Ponsart was, uh, I believe, about five years old at the time. Yeah. And uh, her parents had told her that Flying Santa would be flying over and delivering a present for her. And she was all excited. She was uh, waiting for days for it to happen. And the day of the flight, uh, she was out there waiting for Edward Rose Snow to fly over. And uh, a couple of packages were thrown out of the aircraft. And unfortunately, Cuddyhunk's a very rocky island. The package that was meant for Simon did not survive uh, uh, too well. The uh, doll, I think it was a porcelain doll's head. Uh, broke on impact so uh, she was very very upset and I guess she cried herself to sleep that night and the family wrote to Edward Rose Snow to thank him for the package and to explain what happened and uh, he uh, he was very uh, upset that he had disappointed uh, Simon and uh, he was trying to figure out a way to uh, correct that issue and so the following December in 1946 he chartered a helicopter and this is one of the first uh, commercially available helicopters from Wiggins Airways and uh, so at this point, the family had moved from Cuddyhunk to West Chop Lighthouse. So uh, they flew the helicopter down, they landed, and Santa got out, and he hand-delivered a new doll to Seamond, and she's remembered it ever since. Uh, it, it stuck with her, um, and she actually grew up to join the Coast Guard, as uh, I believe as a reservist, right? Right. Yeah. And uh, But she came back uh, many years after that and joined us for a flying Santa flight and returned to her childhood childhood home. At West Chop Lighthouse, but yeah, it's uh, it's just a small little event in her life that she's remembered all these years, and uh, and we continue to send her one of our Flying Santa stuffed animals, and um, she's still a great supporter of the program. Yeah, oh yeah, Simon cannot say enough uh, in praise of the Flying Santa and praise of the Snow family. Uh, it was one of the the, uh, the central uh, episodes in her life for sure. And I just want to mention, of course, I, I did a book with Simond, uh, Everyday Heroes, the true story of a lighthouse family, and that, that story is in there. But also there was a children's book uh, done a few years ago uh, telling the, the true story of Simond and the Flying Santa. Yes. So, and yes. that is available? From- that, is, that is available at flyingsanta.org. Um, that's uh, Love from the Sky, and uh, that's a, a very well done um, uh, children's book about the experience that Simon had with uh, her first Flying Santa visit. Right. Written by Angelique Perro and illustrated by Heidi Farrow. Yes. Yeah. came out really nicely. So if we could continue with the history of the uh, the Flying Santa, the next uh, stage, uh, Edward Rose Snow again passed away in 1982, uh, and the Hull Lifesaving Museum became involved in the program. Could you say a little bit about uh, the transition and uh, the years that the Hull Life Saving Museum uh, was involved. With sure. Uh, in 1981, uh, Mr. Snow had a stroke and wasn't going to be able to do the Flying Santa flights. At that point, the flights had been greatly reduced because of um, automation and uh, the FAA regulations and insurance costs and everything else. So it just wasn't something that they thought was going to be able to continue. But the Hull Life Saving Museum, which was kind of in its infancy, it was just being um, set up. They had heard about Mr. Snow's condition, and they approached the family and asked if they could step in and take on the Flying Santa tradition. And Anna Merle and Dolly were thrilled, and they actually had a ceremony at Logan Airport to hand over Edward Rose Snow's Santa suit to Ed McCabe, who was picking up the mantle as the new Flying Santa. And um, it uh, it continued mostly, I think, Maine, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island lighthouses. And they did three days of flights that first year in 1982. 
um, and they had helicopters donated by Will Brader Fry, uh, the International Fund for Animal Welfare, and I think a Boston station. Um, and they continued to run the flights up until uh, Friends of Flying Santa was incorporated in 1997. Yeah. So, of course, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know that the lighthouses were pretty much all automated by 1990, uh, with the exception of Boston Light. Boston Light being the only lighthouse in the country today that has a, a resident keeper, our friend Sally Snowman, who's actually on the board of uh, flying, the Friends of Flying Santa. Uh, but with the automation of lighthouses, the purpose of the flights, the Flying Santa flights, kind of evolved and changed, would you say? I, I would say that it, it kept to the original mission because back in the mm -hmm. early uh, 30s, they did include lifeboat stations. So it wasn't just lighthouses. It was Coast right. Guard lifeboat stations. That's true. And a lot of people think, well, it was always lighthouses. But if you look back through the records, you see a lot of the Coast Guard lifeboat stations that were included in the flights. So uh, my my opinion is that it was kind of, it was kind of forgotten for a little bit that the lifeboat stations and the Coast Guard bigger mission should have been included. Right. So in the 1990s, we started to expand the program to include aids and navigation teams and right. boat stations and um, civil engineering units. So uh, what it is today, I think, is very true to what it was when it was established back in 1929. So. So what would you say is the primary purpose of the Flying Santa program? So the primary today? primary purpose of the flights is to show appreciation for the Coast Guard families. Um, you know, it's a it's it's a I think it's an underappreciated branch of the military. They do an awful lot with very little and they don't get much recognition for what they do and and I've gotten to be friends with a lot of these folks over the years and you know, these men and women, whether they're on cutters that are gone for three months or at boat stations boat stations for, you know, two days on and uh, two days off, it's it's a it's a tough family experience because you're you could be moving from Massachusetts to Oregon to Florida um, to Texas, and uh, you know they don't always have family around for the holidays. So to be here in New England and be able to look forward to the Flying Santa event and know that Santa is coming to your mother or father's Coast Guard station because you know you're you're special and we're showing appreciation for it and. You know, Flying Santa is uh, is looking out for these Coast Guard families, and um, we're happy to do it. And it's a, uh, it's we've been told it's one of the uh, biggest morale events of the year for the Coast Guard families, and we're up to twelve hundred Coast Guard kids from every Coast Guard unit from the Canadian border down to Long Island, New York. In the uh, Winkapaw and snow years, of course, uh, the flights were done by airplane. Uh, in more recent years, it's all by helicopter. So uh, who provides the helicopters and pilots these days? Well, we've been very fortunate for probably the past 18 years. We've had all our aircraft um, uh, and pilots donated. So uh, that's a huge expense normally. And uh, we've got uh, JBI helicopters out of Pembroke, New Hampshire, um, West Veercart of Heliops out of Plymouth, Mass., and Monica Snow and Jeff Hubbard of Tuckamore Aviation out of Norwood, Mass., and Bill Paduska and Paul Cantrell out of Bedford, Mass., that... Um, that fly Paul's, uh, Bill's uh, private helicopter. So we talked about all these uh, um, helicopter owners and pilots that um, have provided their services, and uh, a lot of them we've received because of Evan Weil, who was one of our pilots for a long time, I think almost 18 years. Um, Evan uh, is not currently flying uh, with us, um, doesn't have an aircraft, but uh, he has been fantastic as far as providing us with resources for aircraft and pilots, and um, he's always looking out for us. Uh, I mean, I could go down the list of the number of pilots we've had over the years, and it's because of Evan's influence, and um, uh, we're very appreciative. Um, you know, he may not be flying with us right now, but he's still one of our pilots, 
and we're very appreciative uh, for what he does for the program. So these are for four days of flights. There's the Maine, New Hampshire flight. There's the Massachusetts flight. There's the New York, Connecticut, Rhode Island flight. And then there's kind of a, a mix of the Rhode Island, Upper Bay, South Shore, base Boston flight. So uh, we only fly on weekends and we've got weather concerns. So we're, we have to have flexible pilots and sponsors because uh, some years, you know, unfortunately we've had to fly after Christmas. Um, you don't want to disappoint the kids. We've never canceled. We always make arrangements. Last year was a tough year for weather. And our last flight, we had heavy fog at Eaton's Neck on Long Island and we weren't able to land. So we were able to continue the rest of the day, but we drove back the next day. It was about uh, three and a half hours down and three and a half hours back, but we drove down for that one stop so that the kids would get their toys. And uh, they were just, I, I, they're excited about seeing Santa. I mean, they're excited about the helicopter, but you know, we've got those things, three things, the, the Santa, the helicopter, and the toy. And uh, if we can come through with the Santa and the toy, the kids are just as happy. Where do the toys come from? Uh, the toys are, we, we do fundraising events um, throughout the year to help pay for this. We get donations. We do lighthouse tours. And uh, with those funds, we shop for the toys. So in-store, online, um, we've got more than 1,200 gifts that we have to purchase. And um, we've got a company up in Canada that does these plush animals. And uh, it comes with a red hooded sweatshirt with Flying Santa in the year. We've been doing that for about the past 10 years. And uh, kids love them. And uh, they collect them. I've gotten sent photos of uh, the kids holding all their stuffed animals or the stuffed animals lined up on the mantle over the fireplace. And so that's been a neat part of the tradition to be able to give the kids a, a collectible animal that they can collect every year. I know you don't like me saying this, but I've uh, observed this for quite a few years now. You do an uh, amazing amount of work to keep this tradition going. Uh, so I want to give you the credit for that. But who are some of the other volunteers who keep the Flying Santa program going? Well, just getting back uh, to the to the pilots and the sponsors. I mean, I, I just expanded that a little bit. Uh, th- these folks have been outstanding. I mean, it's uh, uh, some helicopters, it, it could cost $1,500 an hour to charter. And you figure the four days of flights and the multiple hours a day that we're flying to have them donate year after year their aircraft, their time, their fuel, um, that's you know, we, we, we talked about this before that without them, we'd be the driving Santas and it wouldn't be as exciting, you know, um, showing up at a Coast Guard station in a sedan, you know, um, Santa getting out and handing out toys. So these uh, owners and pilots have just been outstanding. They say it's their best day of flying all year uh, because of the appreciation that gets shown to them by the um, the Coast Guard families. And um, and they fight, the pilots actually fight over who gets to do it. You know, you have uh, like JBI helicopters, um um, they've got multiple pilots there, and uh, there's always a push to see who gets to do the flight. Um, mm-hmm. And Scott Haniel has been doing it for a number of years now, and they just love doing it, and we love having them there. And uh, it's a it's a huge part of the program that we have this donated because um, I don't think we'd be able to uh, do it as much as we've been able to do it without the donation of the helicopter. So, but beyond that, we've got people like yourself that have helped uh, over the years uh, with the history, with narrating our our lighthouse bus tours and boat cruises. Um, we've got our Santas. Um, they're all volunteers. They're retired and active, active duty Coast Guard. We've got Tom Guthline, who's been doing the longest now. He's a retired Coast Guard warrant officer. Dave Considine, uh, Bill Donahue, and John Roberts, who's uh, an active duty warrant officer at Station Gloucester right now. Um, but they, they love doing it. They jump into the role and they each bring their own definition of Santa. Um, it's, uh, I can always tell. I, I know you have a hard time uh, looking at pictures and uh, and even in person, knowing which 
It's which, Santa which when, when they're when they're there. Oh, absolutely. It's, absolutely, they are Santa. Yeah, yeah. but uh, but no. The, uh, then we've got other board members. Uh, you know, Sally Snowman, like I said, is um, is one of our board members and volunteers. And then Inga Hanks, who helps with fundraising. Uh, she was uh, invaluable in incorporating the Friends of Flying Santa back in 1997. Um, and it's. Uh, you know, it's one of those things. Oh, and, and Dave Waltrip, who started out as one of our Santas in the early 90s. Um, Dave is a great liaison with the Coast Guard. Um, behind the scenes, he's getting us contact information and um, paving the way for uh, um, the logistics of, of doing uh, a helicopter landing at all these Coast Guard units. So, Yeah. Well, I just want to mention that uh, <clears throat> I've been at the uh, I've been at Station Portsmouth quite a few times when Santas come to visit. Uh, I've been on some of the other stations over the years. I was there at West Choplight when uh, C- when Simond was the elf uh, some years ago uh, for that that visit. That was uh, very memorable. But also, I flew along for the entire Massachusetts flight uh, several years ago, and uh, you know, leaving uh, was at Norwood Airport. Uh, before no actually we flew out of uh, pembroke new hampshire oh that's right yes. that's right of course yes. yeah okay that yeah. comes back to me now yeah we flew out of pembroke before dawn and landed uh, well after dusk well after sunset yes. it was a long day yeah uh and uh it took a lot out of me uh and i didn't do anything other than sit in the back of the helicopter and get in and out at the stops but th- that nearly killed me and <laughs> to watch how hard you and Santa and the pilot worked that day was just uh, just was a real eye opener. Uh, kind of blew my mind to see how hard you guys worked and to see how happy everybody was at every one of those stops. So you know, I realized uh, firsthand, and I, I've, I've seen it you know for, for years and years anyway. But to fly along all day on that particular that particular year uh, was a, again a real eye opener. So, uh, but. Uh, and it really sunk in what hard hard work it is, how hard uh, you and the other volunteers work. Yeah, it's a, it's a long day. I mean, it starts for me sometimes two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm packing up my car with all the toy bags and Santa suits and all the uh, other equipment that we need. And you get to the hangar, you got to load up the helicopter. Some helicopter we put signs on, um, but it's nonstop. I mean, some of the Santas they don't get a break. You know, uh, I think in Maine we get a a bit of a lunch break where they can desuit. Um, but for the most part, they're in that Santa suit from say six thirty in the morning till five o'clock at night, and they're, um, you know, on the ground. You could do a dozen stops in one day, and uh, they're on that whole time with, uh, uh, you know, you could do three hundred, four hundred kids in a single day. Yeah. Um, but they love doing it. Um, they just, uh, it's, it's so well received. I mean, the Coast Guard families really appreciate it, and they show their appreciation. And, um, you know, there's nothing commercial about it. It's, uh, to me, it's a great way to celebrate the holidays. I mean, my Christmas isn't December 25th. It's, it's October, November, December. You know, it's, uh, just the people I'm dealing with, um, you know, whether it's the people that do our fleeces or hats or jackets that, um, get excited about the program and want to hear about it and, um, give us discounts. And it's, uh, it's just a lot of goodwill throughout, uh, the year. Uh, connected to Flying Santa and and the people that we do it for and the people that help us do it, so uh, it's I've been doing it 29 years and and I can't imagine not doing it. So, so how can our listeners find out more and how can they donate? Oh, uh, that's easy. FlyingSanta.org. Um, we've got a whole bunch of history up there: photos, videos, radio programs. Um, we've got a web page for um, donations, so uh, you can actually purchase merchandise we've got uh hats and sweatshirts and um stuffed animals and books 
So uh, any any little bit helps. Um, you know, it's not just the big helicopter sponsors, but it's the uh, private citizens that make donations to the program that keep us going. But there's quite a bit up there. We put a lot of information up on the website. We've researched the history, um, uh, quite a bit from the Winkapaw family, quite a bit from the Snow family. You know, Bill Winkapaw III, he was uh, a big help in getting us a lot of the family uh, photos and reports and newspaper clippings. So um, we've got a pretty extensive history about the program. So uh, the best place to go is flyingsanta.org. And uh, I think if, uh, if there's an answer for whatever question you might have, it's going to be on that website. And I again, I, I really appreciate you taking time out from your busy schedule. I know you're in the middle of uh, toy shopping even today. Yes, on the way up, I had a, I brought about sixty toys on the way up. So uh, here in uh, tax-free New Hampshire, but you're a five hundred one c three anyway. Yeah, right? I just uh, I just uh, started uh, making use of that. Um, for years, we were paying the sales tax, and now we've got all our um, cars from the different stores, so that we can present it at time of purchase and save ourselves all the sales tax. So. Well, that's that's good. Yeah. You absolutely need to take advantage of that. Yeah. So it's a great cause. And again, I hope people will check out FlyingSanta.org. And I encourage people to donate. It is a great thing for Coast Guard families. It's a really nice way of showing appreciation for everything the Coast Guard does for us. Uh, so thank you so much for spending uh, some time with me here today, uh, Brian. I really do appreciate it. And uh, we will celebrate 30 years of friendship soon. <laughs> yes, very soon. And 90th uh, year for Flying Santa. So yes, you'll have to have me back for the 100th. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, Thanks great. so much. You're welcome. Before we wrap things up, I'd like to play a brief audio clip from a TV show from the 1960s. You'll hear the voice of Edward Rowe Snow in this clip talking about the Flying Santa flights. In the old days, we had cigar, cigarette candy, chewing gum, pen and pencil sets, a doll if there are kids in the family, and uh, a copy of my latest book, which is now my 96th book. Now I'd like to play a clip of Edward Rowe Snow's wife, Anna Merle Snow, from the 1980s. I recorded it at one of the annual Edward Rowe Snow Day gatherings at George's Island in Boston Harbor. You will hear Anna Merle Snow talking about her memories of the Flying Santa flights, starting with a description of what was in the packages. What type of presents did you bring in? Books. Candy. Pen and pencil set. Uh, believe it or not, dark glasses. Somebody, a, a friend of Mr. Snow's, gave him some dark glasses to send in the package. And they were each individual present was wrapped in newspaper because they dropped from an airplane. You see, they dropped from an airplane. Uh, he went twice by helicopter, but the other time. He went by regular plane, Cessna or Piper or whatever it happened to be. He did not own the plane, he hired it. And we used to say we could have had a very fancy home if we had used the money in other ways. But it, think of how much more fun it was to give it to the people of the lighthouses, to, to see 
them coming out when you're in the plane you see them coming out he would go around the lighthouse first and let them know he was coming and then he would drop a package he'd look out and see if they got it he'd go around again and drop another package and it was so much fun such satisfaction The Flying Santa flights have evolved over the years, but there's still a vibrant tradition that calls attention to the important work of the United States Coast Guard, and I've seen firsthand how much the tradition means to Coast Guard families. I'm amazed at the hard work put in by the pilots, and of course by Santa and by Brian Tague. And the work by Brian and the other volunteers starts months before the holiday season. My sincere thanks to my friend Brian, president of Friends of Flying Santa, and for the interview in today's podcast episode. You can read much more about the history of the flights at flyingsanta.org, and you can also find out on the website how you can donate to help keep the Flying Santa tradition alive as a way of showing appreciation to the Coast Guard families. This is a great time of year to make a donation. Thank you also to the members, staff, and volunteers of the U.S. Lighthouse Society. Go to uslhs.org to learn more about tours, memberships, research, and more. As always, thanks for listening and keep a good light.